All right, welcome back to another episode of the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. As always, uh, I'm your host, Bert, and I'm joined by... Trey. And we're here to discuss the weekly uh, sports news for the NBA and NFL. Uh, if you're into that type of content, you're at the right, you're in the right kind of place. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, uh, help us grow. It just helps us deliver a better product to you all, and it helps us get bigger. Um, we'd really appreciate that. And if you're listening on, on any type of podcasting app, please follow, share, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Um, and let's just get right into it. Let's go ahead. You can find us anywhere on, on most social medias at Speak to Sports. Uh, so let's just hop in and kick it off with the NFL because we, we got some big news today, today we're recording this. Uh, J.J. Watt just signed with the Arizona Cardinals. He, uh, he's on there for a two-year, $31 million deal. Uh, $23 million of which are actually guaranteed money. How do you feel about this, man? I mean, for me, I did not see this coming. I think this was the least expected one. Uh, I think I was on social media, I want to say Instagram, uh, a couple of days ago, and they were saying that J.J. Watt was considering signing with the Buffalo Bills. And I was like, you know, oh, that's, that's cool, pretty standard. And, you know, one of the teams that were kind of in the mix of that. But to see him just kind to jump in this direction was, for me, it was definitely shocking and out of the blue. Um, and that was kind of funny. You know, D-Hop did post a, a picture a couple weeks ago of him and Ginger uh, Watt in Cardinal uniforms and let's finish what we started. The Photoshop made me laugh, you know. I think recently, I think Chandler Jones was talking to, um, uh, he was talking to J.J. Watt about he'll be his personal chef if he comes to Arizona and stuff like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's just really funny to see, like, you know, see the interactions and see the recruiting. I, I didn't expect D Hop's recruitment to work, but uh, it definitely did. And you know how he said he, life is good in Arizona right now. Life is good. I think this is a pretty good move for Arizona. Uh, I'm not sure how great it is for JJ Watt. You know, I uh, so apparently JJ Watt actually had bigger offers. He had uh, better paying contracts that were offered to him by the Browns and the Colts, and he turned both of those down to go to Arizona, supposedly because of the, uh, of the quarterback of Kyler Murray. So uh, I believe Ed, Ed Werder of ESPN is the one who reported this. He said that the quarterback situation was something that factored heavily into the equation for JJ Watt wanting to go to Arizona. And I've seen a lot of like memes online about, you know, JJ Watt said, I want to win a ring. And then he goes to the Cardinals and (laughs) Larry Fitzgerald's like, which is it? (laughs) So I don't know. I, there's a they have a they have a lot of issues in Arizona. Uh, a lot of them kind of stem from Cliff Kingsbury, uh, but you know they have a lot of talent. At the end of the day, like let's be real, they're one of, they're one of the most talented teams in the league, at least offensively. And now that they're rounding up even more pieces on defense, you know that pass rush is going to be scary next year. Yeah, I was actually doing some research into it when I heard about the topic, of course. And you know how I feel is if JJ Watt is healthy. I feel like this is could be a really big signing for um, Arizona. You know, he'd be paired up with Chandler Jones, who uh, who's led the NFL in sacks since 2012, which he had, uh, I think it's 97th at this date. And uh, second to him in that stat of the sacks since 2012 is, uh, of course, J.J. Watt with 95.5. You know, like I said, if he's healthy, this is great. Um, but, you know, got to keep in mind, J.J. Watt has only had – you know, he's only played 
two full seasons since, you know, 2015, which can be worrisome. Um, you know, I just feel like, you know, he's come off a pretty solid year. J.J. Uh, Watt was actually ranked 15th out of 119 qualified edge rushers. Um, this season he had, this past season, excuse me, he had uh, 36 solo tackles, tackles, five sacks, 14 tackles for a loss, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and a pick six interception. Um, so, you know, he, he's, you know, he's playing pretty well. Um, also some other stats kind of go along with that is, uh, Watt was ranked, uh, six and the highest run stop win rate as an edge rusher this past season, which is actually really good because Arizona, um, was ranked 21st and de their defense was ranked 21st and rushing yards per game. So, you know, JJ Watt being there to stop the run can definitely help this team because, Offense, um, excuse me, defensively, uh, it came to the pass, the uh, pass rush, you know, the team was ranked uh, 10th for passing yards per game. Um, so, you know, defensively, they were doing pretty good against the pass, but the run was always their big issue. JJ Watt can kind of do both because, you know, another thing, that, another blaring stat to me was the fact that he was uh, double teamed 30% of the times as an edge rusher. And, uh, and kind of put that in full perspective, Chandler Jones, in his last full season, he was double teamed 16% of the time. So, you know, when you got to worry about Jones, who's a, a beast off the line, you got to worry about Watt now. So who are you going to double team between the two? I feel like this does open up a lot of doors for them defensively. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as long as J.J. Watt stays healthy, I think this pass rush could break, you know, the top 15 at least next year, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, like you said, like it all just really depends on J.J. Watt staying healthy. Uh, that stat since 2012 is since 2012. So, you know, if it was maybe like from since 2018, you know, Watt wouldn't look nearly as impressive. But, uh, you know, besides that fact, uh, I think this is a good signing for the Cardinals. You know, they want to get better defensively. Their defense was a, a big hindrance, a big hindrance last year. Uh, and, you know, if look, if if the Cliff Kingsbury can just coach like a normal coach, this team should make playoffs. They really should. They should not have. They should have made playoffs this year. But uh, you know, things happened, and the Bears somehow lost and stumbled their way into the playoffs. I don't think it's <laughs> going to happen again. Uh, I do think the Cardinals will make playoffs, uh, and I think JJ Watt will help. Yeah, you know it's kind of funny. Um, I was thinking about um, this signing and I kind of felt like, you know, <laughs> this kind of signing can actually play a factor into um, Russell Wilson's, you know, trade rumors. Mm -hmm. This can play a factor in his whole situation. So um, if you would like to, you know, jump right into that, we, we can. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into Russell Wilson trade rumors. So first off, I want to say that nobody, he hasn't requested a trade. The organization hasn't said they're going to trade him. But it's been so strange because what they've been saying kind of sounds like he did request a trade because, you know, Russell Wilson came out and gave his list of teams he would want to go to if he got traded. Uh, and then the team came out and said, this is the package we want if he's going to get traded. Like it's so it's so it's such a strange amount of information that's just coming out right now. And it kind of makes you feel like, you know, 
is this really real? Because when I first heard about it, I was like, no, there's no way they're going to trade Russell Wilson. Unless he requests out of there, they're not going to trade him. Like he's just, he's way too valuable of a player. But, you know, I think with Russell Wilson, maybe, maybe feeling some type of way about how Pete Carroll kind of ended the year with that press conference, he was kind of saying they need to run more. And, you know, Russell Wilson feels like they need to use him more. Uh, I could definitely see frustration there between just the coach and the players especially because they have so much more passing talent than they do running talent right now. Like they genuinely do need to um, run better routes. Most of the time they just go deep. Like that's not going to work every single time. Uh, they need to run some better routes, get more creative with their route running, in my opinion. And a lot of that falls on the, uh, the offensive coach as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't buy it until Russell Wilson came out and said, if I did get traded, I would like to be traded to, I believe he said the Cowboys, the Bears, the Raiders, or the Saints. Like, that's not a good sign. Like, if, if, you're, if you're pretty, like, content with your player and they haven't requested a trade, for them to come out and say, if I got traded, I would like to go here, it's just not a good look. It really isn't. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, that's really bad for, you know, it really looks bad on both their parts, uh, more so the franchise's part. Um, but I was looking at some other things as well that he said. Um, he did come outright and say he's pretty much frustrated with taking a lot of hits. Um, you know, his camp also went on to say that, you know, he's upset that he was upset with the team's inability to get an offensive line around him. And that's what I was talking about with the J.J. Watt mm -hmm. thing. If J.J. Watt comes into, you know, the NFC West, which he's going to with the Cardinals now, Oh, and, yeah. you know, Russell Wilson keeps taking hits on hits. You know, that's really bad. And I think, you know, this would probably make the Seahawks feel more inclined to get him all offensive line because as great as he's been, he's been playing great in spite of having, you know, despite having a bad offensive line and stuff like that. Um, a crazy stuff I saw that he has taken 300 and, uh, 394 sacks in his career. And they said that uh, he has been sacked a hundred more times than any other quarterback since he's been drafted. Um, <laughs> that was crazy stat to hear. Um, obviously, you know, the Seahawks front office tried to do a little bit of damage control, pretty much saying that they were not happy with him airing out his grievances. But, you know, I mean, if you could hit that many times, I mean, I'd be pretty mad too. I would say like, yo, I'm the franchise quarterback you know, give me some help. You got some help, you know, uh, receivers wise, you know, but you guys got to protect them. Like that's your, your money maker. If, if he wasn't on the Seahawks right now, that team would not be a playoff team. He's as simple as that. He made so many plays with his legs because his O-line is so bad. Um, you know, there was also other reports saying that he quote unquote, you know, stormed out of a meeting with coaches as they dismissed his approaches to fix the offense, they said the week they played Arizona for Thursday night football. Um, you know, I don't know if that reports are true or not, but you know, I don't know what the situation is because you were saying that, you know, it is kind of weird for him to say, Oh, you know, if I was to be traded to be traded, I would like to go to these teams. You know, I just feel like maybe they're trying to keep a muzzle on Wilson. Um, I know one of his teammates this past week came out and straight up said, I think it was KJ Wright, the linebacker for the Seahawks, straight up says like wrestling going anywhere. So um, I don't know what the situation is. I don't know, you know, how it's 
going to play out. I don't see him being traded. Um, but obviously, you know, anything can happen nowadays, it feels like. But, you know, we're, we are in a certain period of time in the uh, NFL season. And I like, I like to call this the smoke screen season, you know, right after the postseason, right before the offseason. Just a lot of things are being said, a lot of rumors, just a lot of smoke, but no fire, you know, because I was also seeing some other things about there's teams having, you know, Zach Wilson higher than Trevor Lawrence on uh, certain QBs coming into the draft or coming on the draft. And obviously, like, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in that draft to have Zach Wilson over. It's just smokescreen. They're trying to get people nervous, people thinking and stuff like that. So how I see this part of the season and this whole, tr- you know, Russell Wilson trade rumor, it's just smoke, all a bunch of smoke. So I don't see much coming from it, but it is very interesting to see the progression and the things being reported, um, you know, because to have, if it's like just in a reporter, I understand like, oh, you're just saying things, but to have Adam Schefter kind of be the guy saying all these things, that dude holds a lot of power. Um, you know, he's one of the top, reporters for the NFL so they hear him saying a lot of this stuff definitely something you want to keep your eye on this offseason for sure yeah and I mean look we got to give props to Russell Wilson for playing all these years he really hasn't really even ever had a great O-line like he's really never been protected he's still when he still wins games for them uh you know the the Seahawks the problem with them is they don't really have a lot of cap space right now I believe they only have about five million in cap space but uh, you know, they need to find some ways to clear up some cap because there are some pretty decent uh, offensive line uh, free agents uh, in this in this offseason. Brandon Scherf, Joe Thune, uh, Trent Williams, Russell Okung, you know, they need to get they need to get one of these guys. They need to. Uh, otherwise, you know, Russell Wilson is just he's going to get even more frustrated than he already is. I do think that this is a lot of smoke. I think his team, I think his agent is trying to put pressure on the Seahawks, trying to get them to trying to push them to make them get better but at the same time uh i do think there's a hint of truth in where he wants to end up because uh, i do uh wasn't he a cowboys fan growing up um i've heard reports of that before i'm not 100 sure but i have heard about that yeah, I, I, yeah i thought i remember hearing somewhere about you know he was a cowboys fan growing up so the cowboys make sense for that reason i don't I wouldn't go there for a bunch of other reasons, but you know, if he just wants to go play on his like childhood favorite team, like that makes that makes sense. And all these other teams are solid teams uh, that you know they might even be a quarterback away from legitimate contention. So, you know, I I do think most of it's just smoke, like like you said. But there is a I do believe there's a hint of truth as well. Uh, and I believe the the franchise said they wanted at least three first rounders. I believe that's true as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you said, these these kind of feel like threats, like from both sides, like through the franchise is like, OK, yeah, we like we will trade you if we get the good pack, if we get a good enough package. And Russell Wilson's like, OK, if you want to trade me, I want to go to these teams and I won't play for anybody else. And so only those teams will really be in the hunt to try and snag him, most likely. Uh, but yeah, th- this is it's a very strange situation. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like you are kind of put it in a good uh saying it in a good way it's kind of like they're in deadlock pretty much because i think at the end of the day what he really wants is just the offensive line and obviously they don't want to get rid of their best player um so it's like i don't 
know, like I said, I don't know where this is going to progress. I mean, hopefully they do end up finding some way to get him some help on the offensive line. They could make a trade uh, for certain other pieces. I know trading would probably be their best bet at this point because, like you said, they have don't have as much money in the cap space, um, in cap space room. So I I don't know how they will address it, but it's something that they need to address. They did have an offensive line men who did just retire um, this past few weeks. He was not very good. I heard. Um, I've seen a couple of some seen of his, some of his film this past season. He used to be a pro bowler, but you know, used to be, and now he, he's yeah, uh, he's definitely fallen off the off the ladder a bit. Um, so maybe that could open up some space for them to potentially look into getting, you know, some more help um, on the offensive line, but. I don't know. Russell Wilson, he, this is not this is not in his character. He's been such a humble guy from day one, it feels like. So I think if anyone messed up in this situation, it's definitely the Seahawks. I feel like some things are definitely being uh, done incorrectly behind behind the scenes. Um, let's just hope that, you know, that both of them can win in this situation. And if by that, they get this man offensive line. Yeah, and I think, you know, the organization kind of has to pick between, in my opinion, at least Pete Carroll and the offensive coordinator or Russell Wilson. That's kind of, that's what it feels like they're picking between for me, because obviously the team that Pete Carroll wants, his roster isn't built for the kind of team he wants. He's not a run. They're not a run heavy base team. They have more talent at their wide receivers at their, just at their passing in general than they do running. And without an offensive line, the run game also can't work well. So, you know, the offensive line is a foundation for the entire offense. And so you, it's hard to get an effective run game and an effective passing game. Uh, but let's be real. They, they have more talented wide receivers than they do talented running backs. Uh, and if they, if they pick Pete Carroll and um, the offensive coordinator over, uh, over Russell Wilson, Genuinely, I think that would be an extremely bad move because quarterbacks are the ones who win you Super Bowls at this point. Like, let's be honest. Like, you're, the Bucs aren't winning the Super Bowl this year without Tom Brady. The Chiefs weren't winning the Super Bowl last year without Patrick Mahomes. You know, quarterbacks are the ones who come in there and they, they really win you the games. So, yeah, the Seahawks, they need to get their, they get their act together or else, you know, they're going to lose Wilson and they're going to be out of contention for a while until they can find another quarterback. They're going to be in limbo like the Panthers are or like the football team's kind of in limbo right now as well. Uh, but speaking of the football team, let's jump into our last little bit of NFL news, unless you have some final thoughts. Uh, there was one thing. I, I just felt mm -hmm. like Pete Carroll wants to go back to running the ball because when they did win Super Bowl, they were – more of a run heavy team, but times have changed. His best receivers were Jermaine Curse and Doug Baldwin. Now he has Tyler Lockett, DJ DK Metcalf. Like these are much better athletes. And um, you know, don't I don't want to take away anything away from the old mm -hmm. the older players they had, but these guys are different. Um so we'll have to see like but you know, I do want to you know I, I I think Pete Carroll's a little traumatized. I think He's gotten, he's gotten <laughs> blasted so heavily for not running the ball in that last Super Bowl that now he just wants to run the ball every single possession if he can. Like, <laughs> I just feel like, I don't know, something like 
he really wants to go back to his old roster, but that's not what they have right now. And he just needs to adapt. If he doesn't adapt, the Seahawks won't go anywhere. Simple as that. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into our final little piece of NFL news. Uh, the Washington football team is finally expected to release Alex Smith in the coming days. So he will not be re-signing with them. He will not be returning. Uh, we did kind of predict this in our, we have a video up on our channel, which is actually a clip of our podcast from a couple of weeks ago, where we talked about where will Alex Smith end up next. And we kind of assumed he wasn't coming back to Washington, but it wasn't official until, you know, it's going to be like soon. So, you know, what do you, how do you feel about this? I know you're a football team fan, so. Yeah, I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen some mixed reactions. Um, I, I think a lot of the things that Smith was saying in our recent interview also did give people kind of a, a, a strange feeling because it kind of made it feel like, I feel like he kind of played the card where it's like, man, they really didn't think I had anything left. They didn't think I was going to come back. But, you know, genuinely, a lot of people didn't expect him to come back. You know, it, it made sense for Washington to, you know, make plans for if he doesn't come back. It made sense for them to, I want to say, to completely not have him involved in the, the playbook and stuff like that. But his injury, his recovery, all of it was just miraculous miraculous so um you know for him to have that sour feeling I feel bad for Smith because I do as a player I do love him as a player he's you know he's the reason this team was even so good this season or even made the playoffs this season um he has so much heart like I said the stats don't tell the story he he made a much bigger impact than his stats did um you know it's it's bittersweet because I, I do like him. I do want him to stay in the roster. But like I said last week, I think they're going to get $10 million, uh, save $10 million in cap space, which is much needed for them. the team. Actually, I believe, I actually believe it's $15 million, isn't it? I've heard I heard range from 10 to 15. Okay. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's either one of those numbers. But the fact is, it's $10 million plus. Yeah. And that's, that's going to – that's pretty much, you know, that can get Allen Robinson – you know, just, you know what I'm saying? Like, that can get a, a pretty good player. You know, Curtis Samuel, somebody, a receiver. That's Brandon Scherf re-sign money right there. That That is very true as well. Uh, so a lot of money could go to different things. Uh, I know Smith feels a certain way about it. As a fan, I feel a certain way about it as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's business. They had to do what's best for business. Um, this, was the right to move, this was the right move for their from Washington's standpoint. Yeah, from a logistical sense, I mean, you know, Alex Smith kind of has to see why they were cautious on even playing him. Because look, at the end of the day, you know, this was a life-threatening injury and they don't want to they don't want to put his life on the line again. Even if he's ready to, you know, the team was hesitant to play him in general just because they didn't want to risk another injury because that would not only like look bad on them, but it would be horrible to Alex Smith who just, would come back just to get injured again, which would suck. So, you know, his story is obviously amazing. We've talked about it a lot of times and he's a great guy. Uh, you know, he just, you know, it's just, he's not, he's not the right fit for this Washington team right now. They're, they're kind of looking for uh, either a win now guy or a little bit of a younger quarterback that they can kind of build up with. So, you know, Alex Smith isn't really 
either of those options. He did play pretty decent, but he's not, you know, I wouldn't say he's the quarterback that's going to start the entire season and lead you to the playoffs, uh, at least in the NFC. Uh, but, you know, you know, another team he could, if he wants to really go fight for minutes, you know, the Bears, I'm sure the Bears are looking for some dudes. Uh, I, I'm sure they're not completely sold on Trubisky either uh, and or Nick Foles. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, they're, you know, that's a place you go to fight for minutes. We talked a lot about where he could go as well on uh, a clip on our podcast or a clip of our podcast on our channel. So uh, go ahead and pull that up if you want to figure out where Alex Smith might be going next. Uh, Speak Truth Sports on YouTube. And with that, unless you have any final thoughts, I think we should just jump into the NBA news. Let's go right ahead. All right. So the Hawks coach, Lloyd Pierce, just got fired after his 14-20 and 20 start with the Atlanta Hawks. And he's been replaced by Nate McMillan, who is an assistant coach there, and now he's been upgraded to head coach. So what do you think about this? Should he, should he have been fired? Should they have given him more time? What um, do you think about this? You know, I didn't really know much about Lloyd Pierce, to be honest. Um, I, I always forgot who the, the head coach of the Hawks was. You know, I'm not a big Hawks fan. Um, I don't really know much. To, like, like I said, I don't really know much about Lloyd Pierce in general, but I did see that he had a 63 and 120 record. Um, not very good. I know their team is real rebuilding, surely young, but the team doesn't play defense. Doesn't seem like he even tried to preach defense whatsoever. Um, you know, I try to maybe give him a chance. Um, you know, like we were talking about, in our, I think our first podcast, and we saw we saw the Hawks could be a potential playoff team. They're 11th currently in the East. Um, they're pretty mediocre. And they, they, they should have – they had a lot higher expectations coming into the season just for them to kind of play so poorly, you know, from – you know, they got – they signed Rondo, of course. They signed uh, Galinari. Uh, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich. Is that Bogdan? Bogdan. Bogdan. My apologies. Get to mix them all the time. Bogdan Bogdanovich. And I think they also signed Chris Dunn. Um, but they really haven't seen – that team really played the way they should. Those are a lot of good and key players. Um, you know, Rondo can play defense. Chris Dunn brings defense. And the team still struggles defensively. Um, I know they haven't really played the most minutes also as well. Uh, because, you know, a lot of injuries and a lot of other things going on. But the team has been, you know, underachieving, underachieving tremendously. You know, even John Collins has been underachieving. And, you know, that's someone that kind of expects for him to step up. He wants a, you know, max contract coming into the, you know, this upcoming offseason, and I haven't seen enough from him. Uh, I don't feel like the coach was really pushing them to do enough. You know, Lloyd Pierce, I don't know his track record prior to being the head coach, uh, you know, to the Hawks. But just based off what I've seen, I feel like Nate McMullen can definitely do a better job because I, if I actually do know his track record, you know, as a head coach of the uh, Pacers, he has, he never had a losing season. Yes. They did lose in the first round, every playoffs, which, you know, that's because the team never really, in my opinion, had that star player to really push them over the edge and the situations they were in and the teams they did play. Um, but, you know, Nate McMullen, I feel like this is definitely an upgrade for the Hawks. And I feel like he can definitely push them 
and you know teach them you know because this is a young group of, of of players teaching is very important i don't feel like lloyd pierce was the best teacher as a how as i've seen you know from these past few games in the past few weeks um so you know you know everyone kind of expected the pacers to kind of lose relevancy after they lost uh you know pg years ago but you know david mullen i feel like him as a coach he kept that team afloat and i feel like for the hawks dismissing him was probably the best thing to do dismissing pierce was probably the best thing they they can do and i feel like this could possibly push them into a playoff spot because this this they have the roster to be a le- at least a playoff team in the east they have the roster i'll say it i'm not like i said i'm not a big trey young fan i'm not a big hawks fan in general but to see the talent they have in that on that roster and to see their record, it doesn't it you gotta make it make sense. Like I feel like Nathan Mullen can make it make sense. And that's why I I, I understand why they released um Pierce. I think this was possibly the best thing they can do in this their situation. I'm kind of on the other side in this one. I don't think this is particularly a needle moving move. I don't think this makes them that much better. I don't think it makes him that much worse either. Uh, But, you know, Lloyd Pierce, I just feel like he was fired a little preemptively. Uh, It's still pretty early into the season. I mean, we're almost kind of halfway through. But, you know, even at the 11th spot, they're only a few games back from making the playoffs. Like, only it's pretty tight in the East from about, I believe, the four seed down. It's pretty tight. It's a tight race in the East. So they very well could reasonably make playoffs. I agree with you. The roster should be good enough to make playoffs. Uh, as we both predicted. Uh, but I do want to speak on Lloyd Pierce's record a little bit that you that you talked about. Uh, he was on the Sixers from 2013 to 2018, and that team was horrendous. Like, they had, a, they had horrible rosters every year. They were probably the worst team in the league almost every single year. Uh, and then he, got, then he got hired by the Hawks in 2018, and he's been on the Hawks for three years. And, you know, I just feel like this was a little preemptive and I do want to bring up something that coach Popovich actually said, because he talked, he spoke on Lloyd Pierce getting fired because he's a, they're actually uh, friends. They've worked together before. And he says that quote, he's just a really, he's just a really knowledgeable guy, a people person, very mature, a sad day to have somebody lose a job like that. Now we all know it's a volatile environment and that type of thing, but you don't want to miss on people like him. It's like missing on a really good player in the draft or evaluating someone wrongly. He's the kind of guy you can build a culture around, but there's got to be leadership enough that understands it takes time and continuity is important. And that is not always available in our league as far as management and ownership are concerned. A little bit more understanding about how a program gets built for success over the long run would have served this situation well. And honestly, he said it perfectly. The the Hawks, I the Hawks organization is so strangely they're hell bent on winning this, like this year, they want to win this year and keep winning, but they don't know how to build it. They, cause you kind of have to build that culture. You don't get uh, you can't assemble a roster overnight unless they're full of all-stars, you know, and there are some very good pieces on this team, but the best defenders are, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and Clint Capella so far on the team. Rondo's also a solid defender. Chris Dunn's also a solid defender. But 
everybody else is very bad on defense. Uh, Danilo Gallinari doesn't play defense. Trey Young plays. He might as well be playing for the other team when he's on defense. Uh, and John Collins is not a very good defender either. A lot of his, a lot of his mistakes are cleaned up by Clint Capella. Uh, and, and just in general, John Collins and Troy Young kind of don't really mesh together. Their, their play styles, they don't really mesh together, in my opinion, just from what I've seen from the Hawks. I think this is just as much of a, you know, it's this roster is basically brand new. Like half of these guys weren't even on this team last year. So I feel like they really should have given him a longer leash. Uh, I like that the Hawks are trying to win, but, you know, to, to dump a dude this early when you gave him a brand new, a, basically a brand new roster and told him win right now, I feel it's a little unfair. And the Hawks organization did talk about how they were disappointed in Rajon Rondo's production, which is strange. Like, what do you want him to do? <laughs> like, he's kind of, he's, he's having the impact kind of he did in L.A., because he's but a little bit less obviously because he's not starting he's coming off the bench but at the same time what do you expect like did you expect an all-star when you signed Rajon Rondo like what's the what are you guys not happy about what's what's the deal here with Rondo you should be I think his production I think he's doing pretty decently and not only that uh this Hawks team has had injuries Danilo Gallinari was injured to start the season Cam Reddish got injured. DeAndre Hunter's out until the All-Star break, I believe. So they just lost some of their best defenders right off the bat and a very good, a very solid bench player, Danilo, Gallard, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari, to start the season. So I don't want to say that, you know, this was a complete mistake. They messed up. They're never going to go anywhere anymore. No. I just think this is a very preemptive firing and this kind of reminds me of how the Suns ran their organization before uh, – I believe Monty Williams took over, right? Mm-hmm. He's head coach. Before, before Monty Williams was hired, you know, this kind of feels like how the Suns were because the Suns were firing coaches every single year. They were just like, you can't do it this year, you're gone. You can't do it this year, you're gone. And they finally decided, you know what? We're going to pick somebody. I believe James Jones became the GM and said, okay, calm down. We have to build this thing. So we're going to pick a coach. We're going to give him trust and we're going to go with him. And so they did. They picked up Monty Williams. They trusted him. And they started, they started building up and they had a really good bubble and they got the trade for Chris Paul. And now they're looking really, really good. They're looking like a very solid playoff team in the West. So this Hawks team, in my opinion, I believe Greg Popovich is completely hundred percent. Right. I mean, they just don't, they don't seem like they really understand how to build a successful culture, a successful program. It kind of feels like their owner is just saying, you have to win. We need to sell more tickets, do whatever, do whatever you can to win. If we're losing, fire anybody involved. We need to win now. And that's not the right attitude if this team wants to go anywhere long-term. And I just think that this is kind of a bad omen for the future, kind of a bad sign. Because if they do end up also firing Nate McMillan, if he doesn't live up to their expectations as well, which are for some reason sky high, uh, if he doesn't live up to those expectations as well and he also gets fired at the end of the season, like, man, would you really want to go work with those guys down in Atlanta? Like, I don't know. I, I, as a coach, you can, you got to take what you can get with the best roster, obviously. And some, a lot of coaches would probably think they could do better. Some of them probably could, but let's be real. This is a very bad look for their, for their franchise. And it's, <laughs> I would have never thought that Lloyd Pierce would have gotten fired before Scott Brooks this season. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look, if the Wizards are sticking with Scott Brooks, 
it is the final year of his deal, so they're probably just going to let him go. But, you know, if the Wizards can hang on to Scott Brooks, you got to give Lloyd Pierce, let him play the season out. Let him play it. Because some, some teams have great runs right after the All-Star break, and they break into the playoffs right there. They, they didn't even give him the chance for that. And his roster's hurt. You know, it, it's such a – I feel like it's a big cop-out on the Hawks' management to put the blame on Lloyd Pierce. I don't think that's the right – I don't think that was the right decision. I don't think that's going to really fix anything. I don't think it's going to really – change much uh but we'll see Nate McMillan might come in and just prove me absolutely wrong so I could very well be wrong on this but I just I think this is kind of a lateral move in my opinion yeah I mean there you made a lot of good points uh I can see where you're coming from and I do agree with some of them to a certain extent um I do agree with the fact that they should have maybe let him you know play the rest of the season out you know coach the rest of the season out um like you said a lot of teams do make you know could make impressive runs after the all-star break. We've seen it before in the past. Um, but, you know, sometimes you you can't get used to, you know, mediocrity. You know, if that team was in a down slump and didn't seem like he was, you know, really trying his best to pick it up, um, you know, sometimes that can be seen as a liability. And unfortunately, in this case, he was seen as a liability. Now, I do agree with the fact that, you know, their front office may be, you know, moving on too soon and doing, you know, making a lot of quick coaching changes. Because um, like I said before, I keep on reentering it. It is a young team and young teams, there's a lot of growing pains with young teams. Like we saw with the Suns, a lot of growing pains with young teams. They, they try to get their veteran in you know, with Rondo. And then now that they were considering even trading Rondo, which I thought was, like you were saying as well, I thought was ridiculous. Um, but at the end of the day for me, it's still like, I, I see, and I understand why they let go of him. You know, they, they need, maybe this is the spark that they need, you know, this could light the fire. Like, Hey, Nate, like Nate McMillan, we have to like, not have to start, like we have to make, you know, win it all, but like, we have to at least start winning. We have to try better. We need you to be our spark plug. We need you to, like, you know, get the team fired up. And if, you know, firing your coach, you proofing to the players, like, yo, stop messing around, you know, or we'll make a lot more changes than this, then maybe this was was needed, you know. Um, you know, I'd never want to see a, a guy get fired. I'd never want to, you know, prey on someone's downfalls and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's just twisted and stuff like that. But, you know, this could be seen in, in a certain way where, like I said, it's a spark plug. It's going to get them going. Um, I can't tell you the future when it comes to this. I This is going to be interesting from here on out. This is definitely going to be something I'm going to keep my eye on for the rest of the season, to be honest, because um, I do want to see Nate McMullen, you know, get another job in, in the NBA head coach because, in my opinion, he was a solid head coach. Yes, I know he, he's not the best in the playoffs, but, you know, he, he can get you there. And hopefully he can eventually make a push past the first round in the playoffs. And, you know, if the Hawks are a team he's going to do it with, then so be it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with some of the points you're saying, too. I see why they did it. I just think it was very preemptive. Uh, also, even the players were actually shocked to hear this. Nobody got a heads up at all. Uh, it's like the it's kind of like they just woke up one day and was like, we just need to fire him. Like, it's just we need to make a change for this team. Um, so yeah, maybe they do really want to, they want a change up. Maybe they disagreed on how they wanted to run the team or something. There just, there might be a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we just don't know. That's not, that's just not even basketball, like 
as well. Uh, yeah, this is just, it, it was a little puzzling to me, but I do understand why they did it. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or should we jump on to the next thing? Jump on to the next thing. All right. So Kyrie Irving posted something on Instagram uh, that got a lot of people you know, kind of on a wave. And I really enjoyed this wave. Uh, and it was about should Kobe Bryant become the next logo of the NBA? You, you go first. <laughs> Man, I'm going to be real. I think he should. I think he deserves it. I mean, genuinely, Jerry West is awesome. And he, he's an awesome player. He deserves to be remembered. Uh, but the thing is, you know, when whenever he was asked about being the logo, he was like, I never wanted to be the logo. They just kind of had the nice picture of him. They took it and they just put it on there. You know, I really feel like if they don't want to change the logo, at least make an alternate logo that they use occasionally with like Kobe Bryant with his fadeaway. Like that would be, that would be amazing. Like just to have that kind of a, a logo just to remember Kobe by. Um, and let's be real. Like, isn't Jerry West like one and nine in the finals? <laughs> like he, he, he was kind of, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not taking any type of shots at Jerry West, but he was kind of known as like a loser up until he finally won a ring. You know, he wasn't exactly uh, super, you know, his, his legacy wasn't amazing until he finally won that ring. Uh, but, you know, and, and like I said before, he doesn't even want to be the logo. So just give it to the dude who did so much for the game, who, whose death, impact the league like nobody's ever seen um and it's just it's just something nice to remember him by man like i really do think it would be expensive to replace all the logos that's why i kind of suggested making making the alternate logo like some teams have an alternate logo so the nba could they could sell merch with the kobe logo but obviously they'd have to ask his family see if they're okay with that uh you know everything has to go through the family first so if the family's cool with it I'm cool with it. <laughs> like, I'd love for Kobe to be the logo. Yeah, it's funny you said that. Um, Vanessa Bryant, uh, I think she endorsed Kyrie when he was talking about that. I think she reposted what he said, and she just pretty much said, I love this. Um, for me, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. You know, I, I love Kobe Bryant. You know, you know I, I feel like that could be, like, unsaid at this point. Um, but, you know, I just feel like this is one of those things, one of those ideas that was like, it's so nice and it plays into heartstrings and you want it to happen, but you kind of know that it'll never, I don't say never, but it will most likely never be taken into legitimate consideration. Um, you know, if there is one player that does deserve to be the logo, I do think it should be Kobe over LeBron, over Michael Jordan, over any of those guys. Um, but you know, like I said, this is one of those ideas is just never going to happen. Like you were saying, um, it is expensive and I feel like they couldn't change it on a global scale because that would cost far too much money. Uh, I don't know if you remember a couple of years back when, um, I think it was, yeah, I think a couple of years back when AD joined the Lakers and LeBron was going to give him number 23, but then Nike kind of vetoed that because the rollout of LeBron jerseys, LeBron 23 jerseys for the Lakers was was so humongous that the, the change to Anthony Davis, it would have been too expensive. 
Um, you know, just thinking on with just a jerseys, jerseys, thinking about that on that kind of scale. Imagine a logo, you know, that represents the whole brand itself. So that's far too expensive for it's on every to happen. Single, it's on every single piece of merchandise. Yeah, so that'd be for, like it's just I don't say it's impossible, but it'd be so expensive for the NBA. I don't know if they're willing to make that investment. Um, you know, I feel like also making Kobe the logo, it it, it kind of gives the league, uh, it would give a league the league the identity and an identity and what's like like that. But I don't think the league is looking for an identity, and they don't really want to really be like oh. It's Kobe's league. And like I said, I love Kobe. I don't want to, you know, I kind of keep reentering that because I don't, there's no disrespect to him. Like, it's just like, like you're saying, Jerry West is the logo, but how, you know, the NBA sees it is, it's just a generic logo. I mean, yes, the creator of the NBA logo, I think his name was Alan Siegel. He pretty much said, yeah, I use Jerry West's picture because it looks cool pretty much. And, you know, it was a good picture at the time. Um, Does it represent the league? Nowadays, uh, I mean, you know, that's up for debate. It's just to how I see it, it's a very generic picture. So I feel like it's very basic and it's fine. Um, but, you know, like you're saying as well, Jerry West, you know, he doesn't want to be the logo and he's all for the change of it. But the NBA just kind of sees it and they'll always see it as just a generic logo. They'll never, ever say it's Jerry West. They're never going to say it is. And as long as they never see it as Jerry West, that logo, I don't think it will be changed. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I'd be for the logo change. I'm for it. I just don't see it happening. Mm -hmm. And another thing I was kind of thinking about is, it's just like the all-star game MVP trophies already made with the Kobe Bryant, which is understandable and respectful. Because he think he won four um, All-Star MVP trophies, so I feel like that name change. I feel like that for me is enough. Is it, is in a. I feel like it is enough to honor him. You know, I felt like that was like a great way to pay respects to Kobe. Um, just like when you think about the Bill Russell like Finals MVP and stuff like that because he won the most because he won so many rings um but like i feel like changing the logo would just be i don't want to say i don't don't think it's too much but i just think that it's a lot of emotion and a lot of um you know empathy going into this 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 thought process you know like because Kyrie, he said you know kobe Bryant was his mentor so this would mean a lot to him. Um, and I understand from his standpoint, but I think when you think about the league standpoint and how they see it, unfortunately, I don't think they will consider something like this. Like I said, I'll keep saying this again. I'm for the idea of changing him. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, that's why I brought. I had to bring up the other option of they have to make they can make a secondary logo where they sell merch on the side with that, and uh, obviously a portion of the proceeds would go to Vanessa Bryant if they do model it after Kobe. It would have to go to Vanessa Bryant, in fact. Um, but you know, I just 
I know it's an emotion thing. It's probably not going to happen, but I would love to see it. I do think also it's a, if it was his, if it was Kobe's like fadeaway that became the new logo, I think it'd be very fitting for the league. The league's, you know, they're shooting more than ever, more than ever in NBA history completely. The offense is skyrocketed uh, in these past couple of years. So it would kind of reflect the new era of the league in general, just that it's going from more of a ground to pound game to let's say you can shoot the best. It's kind of a shootout now. So, you know, I, I think that could be a good kind of reason to switch it to that, but you're right. Like I, I don't really see it happening. I just really want it to happen. Um, yeah. 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 And I was one other thing I was, uh, I noticed about this debate. I've seen this on multiple platforms and so and you know so forth and every time it felt like they kind of brought up Kobe they always felt like to bring up Michael Jordan they brought up LeBron there was always some kind of debate and for some reason some they would always make it some weird goat debate and I feel like that can also be concerning changing the logo because um like I said if there's anyone who deserves it it would be Kobe the way he touched the game, the way he, you know, impacted the game on and off the court. Um, it, it's just unreal. Um, but, like, I've seen a lot of people saying that, oh, if anyone should get the, the logo, it should be LeBron because uh, he's the greatest of all time, and then vice versa for Jordan. And then there's other people who are saying, like, oh, well, if you're going to put Kobe in that, then you should you know, consider Kareem, consider, you know, all these other players. And I feel like it opens kind of – opens too many doors and opens so much conversation, so much unnecessary and unneeded conversation. And I feel like that can be a, a headache for the NBA, headache for, you know, NBA media and all that other stuff. Um, you know, this is one of those things, it's kind of like, if it kept kept it the way it is now, I don't think it's going to really affect anybody. Um, so I just kind of feel like, I guess just to leave it as is, like I said, I'm, I would love to have Kobe as the logo. I'm for it, but just the logistics and just the reality of it. I just don't see it. Yeah. Um, I would love to, uh, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said. Uh, I would love to see it. It's probably not realistic, but if enough players push for it, hey, you never know. The players have a lot of power in the NBA. They're, that's one of the leagues where it actually almost feels even between the owners and the players, like the, the power dynamic at least. Uh, so, you know, I do think if enough players push for it, maybe it could happen as a secondary logo. That's the, probably the most realistic option. Uh, but yeah. Why don't we go ahead and jump to the next topic, which is all-star snubs. So, the reserves got picked, uh, I believe, by the time we recorded our last podcast. Now, the reserves were announced, and they are, at least in the East, Jalen Brown, James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Nikola Vucevic. And in the West, it's Anthony Davis, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Zion Williamson. Now, I don't really have a problem with many of the people here. I think Ben Simmons, I don't think, in my opinion, he really should have made it over one of the snubs I had, which was DeMontis Sabonis. But 
Sabonis did get in eventually. He was uh, the replacement for Kevin Durant, who's out throughout the All-Star break. He's going to be out through the All-Star break. Uh, And I do believe, speaking of injuries, Siakam was also actually injured through the All-Star break. So that's going to be a big hit for the Raptors. Um, But yeah, Devin Booker also got in because Anthony Davis is going to be out through the All-Star break. So Devin Booker was also one of the biggest snubs of that um, of the night when those reserves got renounced. But something strange is that they actually went to Jimmy Butler before they went to Sabonis because they asked, they asked Jimmy Butler first, would you like to be the reserve now that Kevin Ransom like injured and Jimmy Butler turned it down. He said that, you know, he didn't want to be in the game because they snubbed Bam Adebayo. And so first of all, I just want to say Jimmy is like the best teammate ever. All right. All the talk about him being toxic and being a locker room cancer. It was, it was so, so wrong. (laughs) So very wrong. Uh, He's a great dude. And then they went to Sabonis afterwards. Uh, But, and also no respect to Jimmy Butler or no disrespect to Jimmy Butler, but just based off the production from, from the season start to the NBA all-star like game you know, he didn't have as good of a resume as other guys. He was out with COVID. He was injured. So he has a reason for it. It's not like he just became bad. He had, he had COVID, he had injuries. Um, But, you know, he just, I feel like I would have rather had Sabonis in as the first choice anyways, over Jimmy Butler. Um, But yeah, so, so some, I have a list of some snubs. Uh, I have, I have, you want me to go off on my list? You can go ahead. All right. I got Bam Adebayo as a snub in the East. Trey Young, which I know a lot of people were saying is a snub. Tobias Harris, I think he's had a fantastic season. Uh, Jean Morant, Brandon Ingram, Christian Wood. Uh, I threw Colin Sexton on here. I think he's been doing really, really good this season. And Shai Gilgis-Alexander, I threw him on there as well. Uh, And there is one other person I want to talk about who a lot of people are saying he's a snub. I heavily disagree. I really don't think he's a snub at all. I think that he shouldn't have made it over anybody in the West. Uh, mm. But before we get into that, let's, let's hear your list. Let's let me hear your list. Uh, mine was pretty similar to yours. Just, uh, I said Chris Middleton. I said Jimmy Butler, or obviously Bam by the Bayou. This happens every time. Uh, One of us forgets Chris Middleton. It just happens. <laughs> You're right. Actually, you know what? Ben Simmons really should not have made it over Chris Middleton, in my opinion. Ben Simmons is a fantastic defender. He's amazing on defense. Uh, on offense, he's, he's been pretty solid, but let's be real. His numbers just aren't up to par with what Chris Middleton is putting up. He is the one seed out, out east, so I see why they gave it to him. They're rewarding him for that. The coaches do like to reward winning, even though they're a little bit inconsistent in who they perceive as winning, but we'll get into that at another time. It's that later um but dude i mean chris we talked about it last podcast or a couple podcasts ago i believe when we were picking our reserves we, we you forgot about middleton and now i'm forgetting I about sure middleton. Did. he's <laughs> he's such a quiet he's a very quiet strong presence i mean he's he's shooting 50 40 90 right now so you know i i, I do think chris milton should have gotten in over ben simmons but i'm not mad that Ben Simmons is in. At the end of the day, you know, he is one of the best defenders, so. Well, listen, I didn't think Nikola Vucevic should have been in there either, but, you know, 
I was not. I was so shocked when I saw him in there because mm-hmm. the magic and him. I mean, he's playing well on the magic, but it's like I just I would have some bonus over him for, for sure. Um, the last few people I have on there, I'm kind of intrigued because you did say that the, the person that you didn't think should be even considered a snub is in the West. I have two more West people here. Uh, Mike Conley, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I felt like, for me personally, I felt like Jeremy Grant or Chai Gilded Alexander were also snubs. I also Jeremy Grant has been playing very well I, I on a bad DeMar team. As well. DeMar is also putting up very good numbers quietly. He's putting up very DeMar good numbers. DeMar DeRozan is the most disrespected. Mm-hmm. He was ranked 82nd in the top 100 players in the NBA this coming into the season, and he's leading the Spurs to the fifth seed in the West. The that's West. That's so he's the most disrespected. DeJounte Murray said it first. Uh, DeMar Rosen co-sign, and I'm going to co-sign on his co-sign. You know what? I think it's because he plays on the Spurs. He's not a very flashy I, player, and he plays on the Spurs. That's like a double negative to getting any type of media attention. So it sucks. DeMar DeRozan listen, is what, considered for this. Yeah, when your mid-range game is your main game, of course you'd be disrespected. Mm-hmm. Look over the mellow. Melo is mm, he's 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 good. His mid range game is his best part of his game, but he gets so disrespected at times. Yeah, so you actually did name one of the players that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I already know it is. Dude, yep, Mike Conley. All right. Oh, okay, okay. If you read any article like right after the um the the reserves were announced, so many of them were saying, you know, hold on, let me get some direct quotes. CBS said quote the obvious absence here is mike conley huh <laughs> what <laughs> it, like devin booker was the obvious absence for me like uh that's just ridiculous and the ringer and bleacher report also agreed that mike conley should have made it i don't know who's writing these articles no offense to any of those guys uh but are they like are they all just kind of in a group think? It's so strange how all these websites read, wrote about Mike Conley being absent from the there. I, I heard nothing about no type of push for Mike Conley. I've heard no support for Mike Conley going to the all-star game this year. I it's so strange. It's so strange. I just he's look, he's averaging 17-6, and he's playing very solid defense for the Jazz. And but the thing is, those aren't all-star numbers in the West. You know, I think John Wall's putting up better numbers than, than that in the West. I know his team's worse. I know Mike Conley's team's the number one seed, but the Jazz are actually 6-0 and without Mike Conley. I'm not saying he doesn't make an impact to their team at all, because he does. He makes a fantastic impact for their team, at least so far this season, but he's not that crucial to where if he's out, they're not going to win. You know, he's not, an, he's not at an all-star level, in my opinion. I don't know why like these people were pushing for it. Maybe it was because this would have been like one of his, I think, I believe his first all-star game. I don't think he's actually ever made an all-star game. So I see why, but to, to label him as a snub, like over all these, over all those other Western players who deserved it, like DeMar DeRozan easily should have got, you know, it deserves it much more than Mike Conley in my opinion. And this is obviously, like I said, no disrespect to Mike Conley. He's a fantastic player for the jazz. He's obviously on a team that's the number one seed right now, but, just individually and the, like the numbers that are being put up individually, you know, Mike Conley just isn't looking very impressive compared to his uh, compatriots who are also competing for the spot. He has a lot of competition, a lot of competition for that all-star spot in the West. 
And maybe if he was in the East, it would be a little bit of a different story, but I still don't think, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know why these outlets kept saying the obvious snub is Mike Conley. Like what's like, how, like the first thing I, the first snub I thought of when I read the reserves was Devin Booker followed by Sabonis. Those were the two I immediately were like, yo, why are these guys not on the team? Like that makes no sense. They're having amazing seasons. Um, and you know, that those were my two biggest snubs right off the bat. I, Mike Conley didn't even cross my mind. He didn't even, no offense, but he didn't even cross my mind. I didn't even like think about Mike Conley for a second when I, when I think about all-star stuff. So, you know, no disrespect at all intended, but like he just has so much competition that other people, you know, should have gotten in there. And there's just so much talent in the league. It almost feels unfair to only have an all-star roster of 12. Like there's just so much talent in the league, but that's just how it is, man. I just, I don't, I'm, I'm just baffled by all these outlets saying that he was the obvious snub. I, I disagree with that heavily. You know, at first I was kind of against him being uh, considered a snub. Um, you know, I read, I think I was on looking at a Bleacher Report article saying how he said like he felt disrespected and stuff like that. And I kind of felt like, oh, play the smallest violent for him, you know, but then I was like, you know what? I mean, his impact goes beyond his numbers. You know, I feel like I know you just said that there were six and no one out of and stuff like that. But I feel like he does keep that team going. He does. He is. Uh, he he might not be the best offensive player, but I just feel like he's the leader in some sort of way. Um, you know, obviously Mitchell is the energizer. You know, he's the face of the franchise. But Mike Conley, he does he does that dirty work. And I feel like his numbers don't show that he is the efficient player. And you know, I, I feel like based on that, he could have been an all-star in my opinion, you know, he deserved to be an all-star in previous years and been snubbed. Um, this is not, I wouldn't say this is like the biggest snub he's had in his whole career, but I do consider this, you know, a slight snub. Like he did, he, I feel like he has played well on a very good team. Um, I think he deserved the spot over, Go Gobert, as me personally, because um, Gobert he's in he's an all star, correct? He's yeah. an all star. I don't know why he's all star. I mean, I know why, but like uh, Mike Conley should have been. He anchors. I that think Mike Conley. Team. He does, but Mike Conley also plays well in the defense and the perimeter. And I feel like Mike Conley, for me, his stats. I know he's not averaging like twelve points, like to eleven rebounds, like two blocks, like Gobert is doing, but like. His, his, his work he does goes beyond the stat sheet. And I felt like, you know, I would have personally had him over his teammate Gobert. I, I think that he, to me, is one of the most important pieces of that team. That's just how I feel. I disagree with you there. I think Gobert makes that defense even run. He cleans up so many mistakes just from, you know, from bad perimeter defense occasionally from, you know, like guys like Bojan Bogdanovic. But you know, I, I don't want to put any disrespect on Mike Conley's name at all. I think Mike Conley has, is having a very underrated season. I, I just don't think it's an all-star worthy season. I think that Mike Conley has, it's very obvious that he's put in a lot of work this off season. Very obvious. You can tell that he felt horrible after he missed that game winning shot or the potential game winner uh, against the Denver Nuggets uh, in the playoffs. He was, he was the guy who took the last shot and he just missed it. 
And you can tell that really got to him. He's been, you can tell he's been working very hard this offseason. He's genuinely, and he's, he's a very nice guy. He's, you know, he, he doesn't talk very much. He's, he's a lot more on the humble side. He's a good dude. Uh, he's playing very good this year. It's just, I wouldn't, I just don't even really, you know, when I think all-star, I don't really think Mike Conley just because I don't, I think all-stars are just crucial, absolutely crucial to their team. And no offense to Mike Conley, I don't think he's absolutely crucial. I think he's a very good piece for them that could elevate them, that has been elevating them a lot uh, because they are the one seed. Uh, he has been elevating them a lot, but at the same time, you know, like I said earlier, they're 6-0 without him. Uh, and, you know, Mike Conley's not crucial for that system to run. I think Rudy Gobert is crucial, and I think Donovan Mitchell is crucial. Uh, you know, one of them gives you basically almost all the defense, and one of them gives you basically almost all the offense. So, you know, I, I think those are the two most crucial components. And that's kind of my view of who an all-star should be is like either um, if they're having a very, very incredible season, even if they're not crucial to their team, sure, you can slide them in there. But if they're not having an absolutely insane season, you know, they, they have to be crucial to their team to make it in. That's, that's how I kind of view an all-star. Like if you take that person off the team, that team's sinking down to the lottery or something, or they're just going to, or just not going to be as good. They might fall a few spots uh, like Chris Middleton. If Chris Middleton wasn't on the bucks, I genuinely think they'd probably be around the seven or eight seed right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, just, you know, and I just think it's strange that Trey Young, I, I don't think it's strange that Trey Young got snubbed. I, I know why the coaches are being a little petty here because they just don't like how they don't like his play style. And I know you don't like his play style either. So you could probably relate to the coaches on this one. But, you know, I, I he's putting up incredible stats this year. I mean, he, I do think he deserved a spot or maybe even the replacement. Uh, you know, it, it's very, it's very subjective. But at the time, the Hawks were actually in the playoff hunt when these reserves were announced. So it is kind of strange that Trey Young wasn't uh, that Jimmy Butler and DeMontis Sabonis got offered spots before Trey Young. Uh, even though I do, th I, even though personally I would put Sabonis above Trey Young, you know, I think Trey Young, he's having just as good of a season just from a different position. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. I mean, for me, Mike Conley, I think he's pretty sure he leads the Jazz in assists. I feel like he helps facilitate that offense, but I will agree that Mitchell, like I said earlier as well, Mitchell is the main offensive guy. And I understand that. And like you were saying, and you have made the point of, you know, Gobert being the, the main defensive guy. I feel like, I feel like for me, how I see it, Conley's kind of the glue. He kind of does both. He does well and keeps the team together. That's why I kind of felt like, you know, he could have definitely slid in there. The one seed, I mean, we saw back years ago when the Hawks had four, you know, all-stars and some of them were not deserving. Kyle Korver in particular was not deserving. And he was like scoring 11 points per game and he made the all-star team, but they were the one seed. So, you know, I feel like, and I'm pretty sure uh, Quinn Snyder's the coach. So he could have definitely said something to I, at least try to get Conley in there, but might've been biased if he did, to be honest. Cause like you said, there's a lot of great players in the West. I can, so I can see why he got, snubbed but i i would have loved to see michael alex conley jr in there but it's okay it's okay yeah i'm rooting for him next year and now now that this has been brought to my attention <laughs> now so i i hope he gets in next year i'll be rooting for him um 
let's jump to something that's it's going to be very um something that i feel like everybody's a little, a little peeved off about so the nba refs have been horrendous this season and i'm not just talking about in terms of calls they have been horrendous in terms of calls as well but a lot of it has to do with just their attitude and their it seems like lack of proper training in my opinion genuinely the lack of proper training uh and they're they're uh their laissez-faire style of throwing texts every single time that a player does anything at that point. Like, okay. I just, I, I was watching the JJ Reddick podcast and he explained what happened when he got ejected and his only reasoning for like why he thinks he got ejected is because he spun the ball a little bit too hard at the ref. Like that's horrible. Like he literally got tossed for giving the, a, giving the ref the ball to start the next play. Like, how do you toss somebody? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, it's just, it's horrendous. They, they threw out Draymond. They ejected him for yelling at his own teammate. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. And just their calls are so inconsistent between referee crews. I feel like a lot of the new refs they brought in just haven't been good. I feel like they need more training in, in a sense because a lot of the calls that they call are, you know, they should actually be fouls on the other person. So let me try and explain this. So I think a lot, of, I think almost everybody saw that Steph Curry highlight where, you know, they asked, is this an offensive foul or a defensive foul? And it was Steph Curry at the line. The defender was standing straight up with his hands up, not moving. Steph Curry took, uh, took a dribble, jumped into him, hit, elbowed him in the face and shot. And they called a foul on the defender like what that's 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 ridiculous that's i think it was i think it was was it dennis Schroeder? yeah it was dennis Schroeder. Yeah. dennis Schroeder. and they challenged the call which i i love challenges by the way in the nba i really do think that's a fantastic system and i think they should continue you know pushing towards uh challenges and all that i do think it's a great system but they challenged the call and they didn't overturn it they didn't overturn it when he I'm not, I'm not going to say it was intentional, but he very clearly elbowed him in the face. And by the rules, that should be a flagrant one, just by the rules. And what's so strange is that they do this a lot for Trey Young as well. And you mentioned how you hate it, but, you know. It's not how basketball is supposed to be played, you're saying. I, I, I agree to an extent. Uh, I, I don't, but I don't blame the players for this. I blame the refs. The refs are horrendous they, they it seems like they don't even know the rules because back in 2011 there was a rule made against it was specifically against Dwayne Wade because he kept doing the exact same thing that's happening right now where he would initiate contact with a defender and they would call a foul but he was the one who initiated contact let me read the rule to you the offensive player in possession of the ball is not allowed to jump into contact going up for the layup once a defender's already jumping straight up in the air, defending the offensive position. So it's literally in the rules that you can't jump up to create and purposefully create contact to get a foul. That's in the rules. You can't, and these refs are calling it the other way. Like are they need to, they need to really steadily go over this rule book and either make some slight tweaks so that it's the language is more clear or something 
they need to make some maybe they should change that um i know it says layup here but they should probably change it to just shot in general because of how how horrendous of a of just uh this it's almost like a, it's like a pandemic sweeping the sweeping the basketball world at this point of players just taking a shot and jumping into someone creating the contact sometimes even hitting them in the face hitting them literally and they get the foul call that's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous these refs need to they either need to be you know they need to be uh either trained better fired find something needs to change adam silver needs to change something yeah i couldn't agree with you any more than that i mean i was watching some other clips i think it was seth curry uh he literally ran up to a player on the calves and literally just threw his body into him while going up for the shot and they called the foul on the defender uh, i think luca also did the same thing against the warriors a couple games back um just a lot of bad calls and I feel like I feel like this is what the game has become. Because even if you watch any basketball game at this point, it feels like you'll see one of those plays. You'll see a play where someone jumps up, and then the other person goes up, jumps into them, kicks their leg out, or something like that. And they usually call it against the defensive player. I feel like that is definitely people just kind of cheating the system. Um, they're abusing the call because they know the ref would most likely give it to the offensive player because they don't want the offensive player to get hurt, of course. Um, but I just feel like this is really bad for the game. It changed the game a lot. And it's kind of changed. It's kind of made it harder for players to even play defense. You know, the pump fake used to be so good, but now it's just like pump fake. Person jumps, they jump into the, the, the defender, and then they get the foul. And I feel like that's not how it should be played. I know old heads are having a field day with this kind of situation. Um, but, you know, I I, I mean, it, it's it's bad. And I feel like, like I've been saying before, Trey Young, and I'll, you know, go along with what you said even before that, James Harden, both of those two players have been at the forefront at the, of these. Now, James Harden hasn't done this as much as he used to back in Houston, but James Harden is also – been getting away with some horrendous flops. Now I know the, the NBA warned LeBron and Kuzma for flopping, but their flops were were <laughs> tremendously bad and very obvious. But one, the James Harden flop against the Clippers literally cost the Clippers the game. They called the foul on um, Kawhi Leonard when he's going for the layup to win the game, and then James Harden flopped, held his face, flew back. And they called a foul on Kawhi, and they lost pretty much lost the game because of it. And I feel like, like moments like that, they have to be sharper. I know the game moves at such a fast pace nowadays; it's hard to capture with your eyes in person and in you know in game speed. But you have the, op- the opportunity to even just look back and review plays and stuff like that. With that option available, a lot of these calls should be, you know, reviewed, overlooked you know, reversed. Um, you know, I felt like that Kawhi call should have been reversed. It should have been a foul on James Harden. And it wasn't given to them, of course. And I just feel like the refs are probably, in my opinion, from what I've seen with the, with the game, are at an all-time low. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. They need to go get some retraining or something, because this is literally – affecting the game in so many ways it's costing teams games like i'm saying it's literally costing teams games and you know 
to go on also even with bad ejection calls, I think Draymond was ejected uh, when they were playing the Hornets, I think after the jump ball. And literally that cost the Hornets the game because Draymond is, people don't want to say it, he's the heart of that team. Not the best player of the team. Obviously, Curry's the best player of the team. And he's kind of, but, you know, I feel like Draymond's the engine that keeps the team going. And the team is much better when Draymond plays. And just to have him kind of booted out, Ari, after Steph went out feeling ill that game, it was just kind of the cherry on top and made sure the Warriors lost. And, you know, they have to get, better with these calls they had to get better with ejection calls they gotta you gotta know when to blow the whistle when not to you know you can't call every single thing a flagrant or you can't call every single thing you know ejection worthy i don't even know what draymond said but he got booted out and like like you said earlier he yelled his teammate that was a joke that was a joke for the fact that he got ejected for that his own teammate he yelled at to pretty much get back in position and stuff like that he got ejected for that. It's ridiculous. And I just feel like basketball, it's getting hard, harder to watch. Um, you know, I always love basketball and football. They'll always be, you know, the core of my sports-loving heart. But, man, the refs, the refs are making it very difficult. Yeah, I don't want to be overdramatic and be like they're ruining the game, but they do make games significantly less fun to watch when stuff like that happens. Uh, I do also want to say the refs are supposed to be like non-biased and partial. That's what a referee is supposed to be. They're supposed to see a foul and, uh, you know, take out the emotion out of it and just say, okay, this player did exactly this. This is against the rules. Obviously humans can't do that completely. We're all humans of emotion factors into all of our decisions heavily. Nobody's can, nobody can just be straight up logic 24 seven. But at the same time, like, a lot of these refs just have grudges against certain guys in the league, like DeMarcus Cousins. Early on, he kept getting texts for no, for nothing. He would he would clearly probably get fouled or get he feel like he got fouled or hit on the hand. He'd get up and walk over to the refs and they'd immediately throw a tech at him. Like that's ridiculous. That's like at that point, that's just that's just harassment at that point. Like that's not even it's not even fair. It's not fair to him, it's not fair to his team. It's just straight up like it's this feels so dumb to say, but it's almost like targeted bullying towards these players. Like they have it with Draymond too. Draymond gets ejected for the slightest of things, but LeBron can go and shout at the refs for like 20 minutes and they'll be like, it's whatever, it's LeBron. Like they, they can't, they know they can't eject LeBron. Uh, but they'll eject Draymond like that. They'll eject Boogie Cousins like that just because they have a little bit of a reputation. Um, you know, it's, I think the refs really need to be more understanding uh, you know what JJ Reddick said about his first tech that he got? You know why he got it? Because in that game, he that, he that was his second tech. That's why he got ejected. His first mm-hmm. tech was because he said the he said the f word to the ref. He like he walked into the ref and he was like, "Ref, that was a foul." And the ref was like, "Nah, it's not a foul." Like whatever, all this stuff. Uh, and JJ Reddick says, "All right, you can explain it however you want, but that was an effing foul." And he got a tech for that. Are you kidding me? Just because he used a curse word? Like, are these refs, like, are they kindergarten teachers? Like, grown, grown men curse. That's, sorry, that's the reality. He wasn't cursing at you. He was cursing in general in the, in the, in the sentence. Um, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. These refs are just, they're, they're softer than Charmin. Um, and legitimately, like, I, I know that 
a big reason why the refs don't go punished or anything is because it's so hard to find refs and hard to find good refs in general. Uh, but at the same time, like for some, some of these refs just need to be fined or get a slap on the wrist just so they know it's not okay for this kind of stuff. Like throwing texts at dudes like that, like for such minimal reasons, for such petty reasons, for just for cursing, like that's, come on, like you're all grown men in there. Like, except for the female referees, but the rest of y'all are grown men. Like, come on, like just, you got to understand, like you're all adults, every, every adult curse. I've never met an adult that doesn't curse unless he was like attached to a church or something, you know, unless he was a holy man. I've never met an adult that doesn't curse. Everybody curses. It gets intense in games. People are passionate. They want to win. It feels like the refs of these days don't really understand that. I feel like the, you know, the refs kind of back in the day, you know, players would talk trash then they talk trash back. Like it was actually sometimes kind of funny when you hear the refs mic'd up. Um, but nowadays it's, it's almost like the refs just don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear any type of opposition to them. Like they just want to be the dominating power over everybody else. And they just want their word to be final. They don't want to be wrong. I remember when they first implemented the challenges, the refs weren't really overturning anything because they didn't want to admit they were wrong. Even obvious, clear fouls, they were not overturning them. Eventually they started to, uh, but when it was first announced, I remember they really refused to, to accept any challenge. There was like, I believe there was like, uh, when, like when it first started, there was like uh, somewhere around like 30 challenged calls that were denied and like two that were accepted. Like it was ridiculous. It's like when the NFL with the, with the PI uh, call, you know, they, they just weren't calling, they weren't overturning anything. Um, yeah. But they're just, you know, there needs to be some type of system in place. Adam Silver needs to find a way to find these refs or at least give them a slap on the wrist, give them maybe suspend them for a couple of games. Cause Hey, that's also their paycheck too. You know, they should, if they, if their ejections can make a player uh, be suspended which happens if you um, if you get ejected too many times or if you get 16 technical fouls or more, you can get suspended by the league. So if if you get if you botch up too many you know calls, I feel like you should be put on leave for uh, a few games, just to kind of you know because these refs are just I feel like they're kind of on a power trip, like legitimately they're on a power trip. And I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but like, you know, like not everybody. There's a very, very few select amount of people who should actually wield power. Let's be honest. <laughs> like most people can't handle power. That's why you see so many managers are just horrible managers. They don't know how to handle power. Um, and the refs in this sense, they need to kind of be educated on how to handle their power because they, the, they have the power to influence the entire game. They could literally win it for an entire team if they wanted to straight up. And, you know, it, they need to, they really need to grill them this summer and be like, look, we need to go over these rules. You need to know these rules and call them. We're going to show you film. You have, you have to tell us, is this a foul? Who's it on? Like what's going on? If you get too many of these questions wrong, I'm sorry, you can't ref for us or you have to ref for the G league or something and work your way back up. Cause this is just, it's just ridiculous at this point. Legitimately. I have a serious problem with these NBA refs. Yeah. I, I was thinking about an uh, old clip back in 2007 and it just seems so surreal, but it seems like nowadays it wouldn't be, it wouldn't seem as crazy now. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Joey Crawford, yes. uh, you know, yeah. ejecting Tim Duncan for laughing on the bench. Joey Crawford actually was suspended indefinitely after that, that notion. 
Um, I have not seen a ref personally. I've not seen a ref or heard of a ref being uh, being suspended since a situation like that. And then, you know, just thinking about like how goofy that situation was, I feel like if that happened now, it wouldn't seem as out there, you know, as as bad. That's how bad it, it's gotten. Like I can imagine someone laughing on the bench too loud, and you know how quiet the arena is now with you know little to no fans. I feel like someone can legitimately get ejected for that. And, you know, and people would, wouldn't even bat an eye or eyelash to it. And that's how how rough it's gotten when it comes to officiating. And, you know, I agree. There has been a lot of bias. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of games where it seems like certain refs have it out for certain teams. Uh, I know a couple times with the Knicks, there seems like there's – I don't know the name of that ref with – no, don't know the name of that ref in particular, but – it seems like every time they ref it, they're a little leaning against the, the Knicks and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, they need to really, you know, clean up on their act. They need to really reinforce some type of repercussions to some of these calls. I feel like the ref who, you know, called that on JJ Reddick, he definitely could have used a slap on the wrist for a ball being thrown too hard in his direction. Like, come on, you know... All the other ones, Boogie Cousins and Draymond, I mean, those guys could always use a slap on the wrist because I feel like they're always so quick to yeah. call. They're so quick and have a quick trigger to come to those those play, those two players in particular. And, you know, like I've been saying throughout this whole night, throughout this whole day, throughout this whole podcast, I couldn't agree with you more, Bertram. I, I really couldn't, Bert. I couldn't. Hey, I also want to say that um, I just forgot what I was going to say, actually. What were you talking about a little bit earlier? I was talking about how a lot of the, the refs are quick trigger when it comes to Draymond and yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like, all right, like imagine if this was like soccer, like half the team wouldn't even be able to be played. Like the refs were as trigger happy as they were in the NBA, you know. Like <laughs> the NFL also has a bit of a problem. I know like some of the playoff games, especially the Super Bowl, were really uh, they were not officiated very well, uh, but it's nowhere near as bad as the NBA. Uh, these refs just need to get their act together. Genuinely. I, I just, I don't really have any, I don't really have much else to say. Uh, I hope the players appeal as many texts as they can because they are fined for every tech. So mm-hmm. uh, I believe they really do need to appeal as many texts as they can. JJ Redick, uh, he said on his podcast that he will appeal the second tech. He doesn't really care about the first one, but he will appeal the second tech where he just threw the ball at the ref. And I agree. I think that ref needs to be suspended. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's go ahead and jump to, let's go ahead and jump to our final uh, thing for today. Uh, the rookie report. So we did a rookie report card for the, uh, for picks one through 14, which is the lottery. We did that on the last podcast. So if you want to go listen to that and check that out, go right ahead. Uh, right now, we're just going to jump to a few key rookies that have kind of stood out um, that we just think we as we feel like we want to talk about, and we're going to grade them. So let's kick it off with uh, Cole Anthony. He was drafted 15th overall by the Orlando Magic. Uh, I'm going to give him a C plus. Yeah, I give him a C. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me coming out of high school and coming out of college, Anthony had a lot of hype going into like 
going into the NBA and going to the league and all that stuff, people said this guy would be the, the next next great thing or one of the next best things to come from, you know, this class. And, you know, for me, I feel like it hasn't really lived up to the hype. Now, there's a lot of pre a lot of precursors and context to his situation. Um, you know, I'm not gonna I'll get onto that in a little bit. Um for me, how I've, as a player and how I've seen him play, um, you know, defensively, he's not been, you know, doing as well as I thought he could be doing. Um, you know, offensively, shooting's a little spotty. Shooting at thirty-seven percent, thirty-seven percent from um, the field, and then thirty-two percent from three, or nearly thirty-three percent. Um, it's a bit rough, but it has, I think, it has improved actually since. Actually, might have declined since his first uh, few games. He was coming off the bench the first few games, which was understandable at the time. But this is where kind of context comes in. When Markel Fultz went down with his injury, it kind of just catapulted him into the lineup. And I don't think he was really settled in just yet. When he was coming off the bench, he seemed a lot more. Um, he seemed a lot more level-headed, and you know he. Um, he had a pretty solid plus minus when he was coming off the bench. Uh, I think he's a negative plus minus a, a, as a starter, but you know, the magic of the team has not been very good. And I can't put all of this. I kind of play, I feel like that kind of plays into the issues with Anthony. I can't blame it on him. I just think the whole organization as a whole has not been, you know, doing their best to kind him kind of put him in a good position. And I just feel like that team's in a bad position. So, you know, I just feel like the longer he'll play, he will improve. That's why I have him as a C. He's just average. Yeah, going into the draft, I kind of expected um, – I didn't actually expect him to go this high, even though I kind of thought he should have. I think Cole Anthony was really kind of done dirty in UNC. He didn't really have a lot of talent around him. Had to carry that roster a lot of, a lot of the time. But, you know, uh, going to the Magic – it should be a decent situation for him, but, you know, there's not as many shooters on the magic as, you know, a guy like Cole Anthony would like. Uh, I believe his assist to turnover, turnover ratio is about like a two to one, which isn't uh, the greatest. Actually, not very good at all, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm someone who d- does believe that Cole Anthony will get better. Uh, I think Cole Anthony's, you know, he's shown enough of a, enough of a little spark. Uh, he's shown enough of a little, um, potential for me to give him a C plus I do think he has a potential to be a very solid starting quarterback in the league uh, obviously he's more of a scorer than he is a playmaker but that's not you know that's not frowned upon nowadays nowadays you know if you can score any position yeah we'll take you like uh, so I give him a C plus for that uh, let's jump to Alexi Pokashevsky I know you probably couldn't read his name yeah i'm gonna call him ap just to save us some time we'll call, call him, AP poku. For the call him poku i'll call him poku, poku. Uh, if you insist i'll call him poku yeah good all right all right <laughs> what grade what grade do you give poku um you know i was a bit harsh for this one i didn't give him an f but i, I was a bit harsh i give him a d plus mm-hmm. wow uh i gave him an f <laughs> this is i believe this is my first this is the first f i've ever given out um yeah i look he was drafted 17th overall by the thunder and when you draft a player at 17 you're probably looking for somebody who has a decent amount of potential but also maybe someone who can help you win games kind of now because 17 is that area where like you're kind of in the playoffs so you kind of need that extra push 
Um, I'm just going to be honest. I, I never really thought he should have gone that high. I think he's way too raw of a prospect. I know he did have a great, uh, he did have a great preseason. He was looking really good in the preseason, but at the same time, like now he's in the NBA, he's in the big leagues and he's really not producing. He's, I believe he's averaging 3.3 points on 24% shooting from the field and 18% shooting from three. That is like horrendous. That is one of the worst like shooting splits in the entire, in the entire draft. Uh, and he is, it doesn't help that he's playing like 17 minutes a game. He's not just, you know, coming off the bench for like two or three minutes. He's playing 17 minutes a game and he's shooting 24% from the field. And it's just, it's, uh, he, he, his defense is pretty decent. His defense is pretty, he's, he is averaging a block and half a steal, but at the same time, you know, he is so raw and I don't think he should have been taken this early. A lot of people compared him to Giannis, uh, which I think was a very unfair comparison uh, because even Giannis in his rookie season uh, was putting up way better numbers than this. Uh, let me just pull up his stats real quick. So Giannis in his rookie season, 2013-2014, he was averaging 24 minutes a game, which is more than Pokashevsky is, but he was shooting 41% from the field and he shot 34% from three, which is actually uh, his career high, surprisingly. Um, we should talk about that one day. But even then, <laughs> like, he just looked more impressive, in my opinion, than Pokashevsky does. And, you know, he was he's 19. I believe Pokashevsky is also 19. And I just, I don't, I never really understood the Giannis comparisons. You know, he is very tall and he can kind of play make a little bit. He's, he's mobile, but in terms of offensive talent, he's so far away right now from even just being a, a solid bench player right now that I just, I had to give him an F on the season, man. I just, his stats are just not, they're not looking good. I just, I don't know. Yeah. The reason I give him a D plus is I actually looked up his G league stacks Stats over his uh, NBA stats because I saw this NBA stats really bad, and his G League stats aren't very impressive either. Yeah, to think about this, I'm gonna read off his stats, but think about in in context, he's playing in the G League and averaging these stats. Mm -hmm. Okay, eight point nine points per game, eight point two rebounds per game, which you know that sounds decent. Four point seven assists, one point one steals, one point four blocks, four point one turnovers per game. 30, 30.8% from the field and 28% from three. Like, he's not even playing with – I mean, he's playing with people who are trying to get in the NBA. Like, yeah, you just got to think about it. Like, because I'm seeing, you know, prospects like Jalen Green. We're seeing uh, Kaminga. We're, we're seeing these young prospects play better than him. And Poku is supposed – it's the seventh pick overall, 17th pick overall in the 2020 draft and he's playing like dog water and it's, it's, it's unacceptable. I, I think it's, I, I'll give it, I wasn't, I'm giving him a passing grade. If you want to consider deep on the passing grade is because I do see some potential. There is a bit upside. Like I said, he's a good rebounder. Um, he's a young prospect. There's a lot of room to grow. So that's the reason why I'm giving him a chance, but honestly, his stats, his play style, it's been, it's been, kind of rough to watch 
Yeah, and I mean, even his his best performances so far have been in the preseason. Uh, and even leading up to the season, it was kind of looking like, you know, Thunder might have gotten a little bit of a steal here because he was averaging, I believe, 11 points, nine rebounds, uh, 1.7 assists. But even with that, uh, he was still shooting pretty bad from the field. Uh, let me let me tally up exactly how much. He was shooting 33% from the field, even then. So, you know, it's his ceiling is high. Just when you look at his, uh, you know, when you look at his body type, when you look at his height and some of the skills he has, it is high, but I'm not sure if he's ever really going to hit it. It's going to take a lot, a lot of work in the off season. He's going to need to get a lot, a heck of a lot stronger. Uh, and, and he was always viewed as a raw prospect anyway. So no one was expecting a great first year from him. But this has just kind of been horrendous. Like, no one was, I don't think anyone was expecting a, a year this bad either. So, you know, it's Poku's a, he's a strange case. I hope the, I wish the best for him, but I'm not exactly sure, you know, how well it's going to end up in the end. Uh, let's jump to Sadiq Bey on the Pistons. Sadiq Bey uh, was selected 19th overall by the Pistons. And the original owner of this pick, I believe, was the Nets, who traded it to the Clippers, who traded it to the Pistons. So the Pistons traded uh, traded to get this pick, and they selected Sadiq Bey. Well, what do you think about Sadiq Bey? Um, so just looking at his stats, it's not the most crazy and most, like, glamorous things. Um, but does stand out to me, he's shooting over 40% from the field and from three, which is impressive as a rookie. Um, you know, how I was just seeing it, like, you know, just watching it, watching him play, he's more than just a shooter. Um, you know, he's become a pretty valuable uh, option for the Pistons as of late. Um, he currently holds the longest streak for double-digit scoring by a rookie this season. Um, he scored at least 10 points in his last 11 games. You know, when he came into the league, he was kind of seen as a 3 and D kind of player. His shooting was always there, but his defense was suspect at times. Um, he has been improving his game inside the three-point arc. I've, I've watched actually a couple of Pistons games as of late. He's been passing the ball and facilitating and moving the ball around when necessary. And it has been uh, very crucial to his development as a rookie. You know, his threat of shooting makes him already a problem, but him being able to work the ball around has made him even a bigger problem. And it's actually, like I said, made him an actual threat uh, for the uh, for teams against going against the Pistons. Um, you know, he's already had a player of the week under his belt, you know, to show that he has been pretty done pretty well and actually above expectations. You know, I think the Pistons might have missed the mark when they uh, selected Killian Hayes early on, but I think with this pick, it was really good. So I, I got to give it a B plus. I'm right there with you. I also gave him a B plus. I mean, he's doing what he was brought in to do well. He's hitting threes uh, at an effective rate, and he's playing okay defense. Uh, obviously, I don't expect any rookie to be playing incredible defense, but uh, in in terms of just his rookie class, he's playing some of the best defense in his rookie class. Uh, and he's, yeah, he was a very, he's been a very sneaky, good player. And he, he could end up being one of those players kind of like Trevor Ariza, who just, you know, they're not somebody who everybody talks about as like a, an amazing, fantastic player, but they're a very solid role player sneakily. Uh, you know, they affect the game in ways that don't show up on the box score. 
that's kind of what that's kind of the path Sadiq Bay is heading uh, heading down towards. And I think the Pistons, I I like this pick better than Killian Hayes as well. I agree with you. Um, I was I was really surprised that the Nets and the Clippers passed up on this guy because this is kind of the exactly the guy both of those teams really need right now. They really need some uh, they need some uh, help shooting. The Clippers do, and they need some help. Uh, the Nets need some help defending. So, you know, it's just strange that they kind of passed up. They both passed up on Sadiq Bay, but you know, the Pistons. You know, they saw the opportunity, they took it, and it was it was worked out very well for them. I also I, I've given Sadiq Bay a B plus. Mm-hmm. Let's jump to Tyrese Maxey, who was selected 21st overall by the 76ers. What do you think of Tyrese Maxey? Uh, I got to give him either a C or a C minus mm. in the season so far. Uh, I want to go into detail right now. Might well. Yeah, I um. L- wait, let me let me tell you my grade before you go into. Detail. I actually gave him a B. Right. So really, yeah, I did give him a B. Um, for me, how I've seen it, um, I feel like Maxi's been kind of fairly average as a rookie. He's he has shown spurts of potential. And the team had its COVID cases, and there was very few Sixers able to play. Um, you know, I think it was when they played the Nuggets early, uh, back in uh, early January. Um, I think he got 39 points, a career high, which was very impressive. Um, obviously, they lost the game to the Nets, but of uh, the Nuggets, but um, it was really, you know, it showed us that he could score. Um, it's always been kind of his strong suit. He's not the best passer. He only averages 1.7 uh, assists per game. Um, he's not also he's also not the best on defense. His defensive rating is uh, more on the mediocre side. Um, yeah, three point shooting also can be some uh, improvements as well. He's shooting under 30 percent from three currently. Um, you know, but I feel like he's kind of a product of you know being on a, a team that's trying to contend. A lot of times like that, it's kind of you kind of find it hard to get yourself in the rotation. Um, his minutes have been on decline, and it feels like consistently he tries to find his shot within the minutes he's given. Um, there's a game in particular, I think it was back in mid-February, where he would play in the game for 13 minutes and took eight shots in the loss against the Utah Jazz. It's just kind of one of those things, like, you just try to do what you can within the minutes you're given, and I feel like he had – I feel like until he gets some steady minutes and kind of get out of the slump of decline, the declining minutes and whatsoever like that, I feel like, you know, I'm not sure when he'll find his uh, rhythm again. I'm not sure we'll, we'll see him score 39 points in the season again. I'm not sure we'll see him score 25 plus points in the season again. I just feel like he's given so little minutes. And until he can get, you know, like I said, a steady base of minutes, then I I, I don't have him very uh, rated very highly because of it. So, you know, like I said, C. Yeah, I gave him a B just because, you know, I, I see so much potential in him. And just, you know, the fact that he was selected this low, I think this was, uh, I think this was a steal uh, for the Sixers. And I really, you know, like you, you rattle off some of the stats, but, you know, I do believe that, you know, in the in the minutes he's given, uh, which I believe he's averaging around 15 minutes a game, uh, he he's he scores he scores pretty decently, and his field goal percentage is about 45, percent and that's higher than most of the rookies in the class. Um, his three point percentage uh, could you know it definitely could improve. It's only 28 percent right now, but 
at the same time, Tyrese Maxey was never really seen as just a knockdown shooter. Uh, so just the fact that he's even coming in and hitting at 28% is actually somewhat impressive to me. Um, but Tyrese Max, I just feel like, yeah, you're right. They, they do need to play him a little bit more. I think he needs to have a more of a prominent role off the bench. Uh, a lot of his minutes average went up because of that stretch where I believe it was Seth Curry that got COVID mm-hmm. uh, and they couldn't, they had to play someone in his place. So they slapped Tyrese Max in the starting lineup. And just what I saw from that, that stretch of games he had, I just, I was so impressed that I felt like I couldn't give him anything below a B minus. Uh, and I just feel like, you know, if they really need to, they need to unleash Tyrese Maxey. I mean, he's going to be so, he's going to be great for this team. Uh, this is such a perfect pick by the Sixers, even though I don't like the Sixers. <laughs> this is a perfect pick by them. Uh, and look, I'm, a, I'm a Kentucky guy, you know, Tyrese Maxey's my guy. So I'm rooting for him. Probably a little bit of bias there. Uh, but yeah, I, I gave him a B. I think he's he's been doing okay. He's moved very solid, but you know, there's there's obviously room to improve. Uh, but he also needs to be giving more opportunities, like you said. Let's jump to Emmanuel quickly. Uh, he was selected 25th overall by the New York Knicks. I know you love this guy. I love him. I love the way he's playing. He's also a former Wildcat. Um, for me, the grade I gave him, I gave him an A minus. Mm. I I'm right there with you. Give him an A minus as well. Yeah. So for me, um, <laughs> from him being a D plus grade from CBS Sports, if I recall correctly, for his draft selection, um, quickly he's <laughs> easily become one of the best rookies in this class. I think personally, top five in this rookie class. Um, you know, quickly has has been able to score at a, a impressive pace. He's I think he's dropped a thirty one uh, piece against. The Blazers back in January, they lost a game. But the fact that a rookie can do that on 50% shooting and 60, 62.5% shooting from three is is ridiculous. He shoots so naturally. He shoots so well. His floater, his floater, he's a floater specialist. If you know, if we're playing 2K my part, he would be a floater specialist for sure. Um, the kid, he, he's impressive. Um, you know, uh, he's, at times he seems like he can be the spark plug for the Knicks. Uh, there's games where he can come to there and drop 25 and like 18 minutes. And, you know, just him playing so well within the minutes uh, also is very important because, you know, with Rose, uh, Frank Nicotina and uh, Alfred Payton, you know, and all of them on the backcourt, sometimes his minutes could get sporadic. There's times where he plays 20 minutes. Next game he can play eight minutes. Um, the team is better off when Alfred Payton doesn't play. I think they have a winning a, a winning record when Alfred play, Payton doesn't play. So it's best that he is in the lineup. He does always do the best he can. You know, he's not um, – obviously, you, know, you see his assists. He didn't really get too many assists, but, you know, he's not a bad passer by any means. Um, I think he creates well for his teammates, and he doesn't really turn on the ball very much either. Um, and one thing I didn't know until I did some more research today is um, he actually has the highest usage rate amongst the rookies this year. And, you know, for the Knicks, I think they made a slam dunk with this pick. This was probably the, one of the best picks on paper. Not on paper, but one of the best picks the Knicks have actually managed to make the past few years. I think this draft for the Knicks was actually uh, quite impressive. Mm-hmm. I know Obi Toppin hasn't really done as much as we all expected but you know with injuries and other things going on you know they get him a lot more time but I feel like you know 
in his place to step up for the rookies for the Knicks quickly has done that. And he's done that very quickly. Sorry for the pun, but I love this kid. Definite A minus. I love him as well. I also gave him an A minus. I mean, just in general, you know, at the, at the 25th spot, actually this was viewed as a reach at the time. Uh, But you know, it, the thing with Kentucky players is you can't really go wrong with taking one, you know, coach Cal, prepares them so well for the NBA even if they don't put up amazing numbers in college he prepares them behind the scenes for the the NBA game and how it's played and it it's very telling because of all the amazing Kentucky players that are in the league right now uh and so picking quickly here in my opinion you know it was a shock to me but it wasn't like I wasn't like that was a bad pick I was like you know what that might work out well for them the Knicks have been like obsessed with trying to find their point guard of the future uh, at least that's what it feels like. Uh, they they passed on Dennis Smith Jr. for Frank Ntilikina, and then he wasn't doing great, so they traded for Dennis Smith Jr. and he also didn't do great there, and so they traded him away. and They picked they drafted quickly, then they picked up Rose. I feel like they're constantly trying to find a point guard, and I feel like quickly is going to be the one that sticks in the end. Quickly is going to be the one that sticks. Uh, he's just been doing he's been doing fantastic, like you said. Um, his field goal percentage does look a little bit low. It's at 40%, uh, but that's because he had a little bit of a slow start to the season. Uh, he had a little bit of, he hit a little bit of a bump, but as of late, I mean, he's just been fantastic. Um, even right before Rose got there, he was doing great. And his three-point percentage is actually very solid. He's shooting uh, 38% from three. It's very, very good uh, for a rookie. And not only that, I mean, he's only playing around 18 minutes a game and he's averaging 12 points. So he's making the most of his minutes. He's a scorer in the truest sense of the word. Uh, and he can also dish it a little bit. He, he, uh, he's averaging 2.5 assists and one turnover. So, you know, not the greatest ratio, but, uh, you know, it, obviously if you extend that to uh, like some per 36 numbers, it looks better. Um, but just in general, yeah, he's he's been one of the uh, cleanest rookies so far that's been drafted. Then you're right, the Knicks did a fantastic job uh, finding this guy and just taking the chance on him. All right, let's let's go ahead and jump to the very next pick, uh, Peyton Pritchard by the Celtics, selected 26th overall. How do you feel about Peyton Pritchard? Uh, give him a B. Mm. I uh, I feel like he's been uh, actually. I'll let you re- say out your grade as well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I gave him a B plus. I think he's been very solid for the Celtics. He's kind of provided stability to their point guard situation when Kemba Walker has kind of been, he's been very inconsistent actually. Um, and Peyton Pritchard's shooting numbers are actually, they're pretty good for a rookie. Uh, 44% from the field uh, is very solid. 38% from three is very, very good for a rookie. Uh, he's shooting 94% from the free throw line, which is also very, very good. He's not getting there too much, but when he does get there, he hits the shots. So, you know, I think he's really provided a good energy and a good spark for this uh, Celtics team, especially early on in the beginning when he hit that one game winner. Um, ever since then, he's kind of had the confidence to just assert himself in games and really, um, you know, push, uh, push the pace, push the ball. And, but also he, he can also slow it down and kind of take, uh, take possessions like slow and in a more half court setting, he can just kind of do a little bit of both and his defense is okay. It's not the best it's, but it's, it's solid enough. Uh, he's playing 21 minutes a game and rightly so. I mean, he deserves to be the backup point guard for this team. I think he's been the best uh, bench point guard they've had. And you could, 
with how uh, with how Kemba Walker's been playing, you could maybe make an argument that he should maybe be starting, uh, even in a sense. You know, I, I think he's been very solid. Uh, and so I gave him a B plus. I couldn't go up to him. I couldn't do. I couldn't give him an A minus, just because I think quickly. Uh, you know, he's averaging less minutes and, and more points. He's a little bit more. I feel like he's more effective in his role uh, than Peyton Pritchard is. But Peyton Pritchard at the twenty six pick was. I don't want to say it was a steal, but it was a very, very solid pick. It might have even been a steal. Uh, I wasn't expecting him to go that high, to be honest. But, you know, they reached for their guy. You see teams do this a lot. They'll reach for their guy. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes it does. And this is one of those times where it worked out. They reached for their guy, and it worked out. So kudos to the Celtics for hitting on that one. Uh, they, they missed on something else later, but we'll talk about that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Yeah, so you were kind of saying a lot of things I was going to pretty much say that, you know, he has a, a pretty sufficient ability to score. Like you were saying, he's also not bad on defense. He actually can definitely hold his own. Um, he's a bit of a streaky shooter at times, uh, but he's young, so he's always has room for improvement. Um, how I see him, he's actually one of the few bright spots of the Celtics bench this year. He supplies, supplies a lot of stability to their bench. Uh, I feel like him and Robert Williams have been definitely the two anchors of their bench. Um, you know, I feel like when Jeff T was, you know, struggling, Pritchard definitely stepped up to be the main bench guard and has kind of taken the reins ever since then. And I feel like that's been very necessary for the Celtics because coming into the season, I don't know what's going to say that, yo, Celtics can definitely do more to, you know, add on to their bench because their bench is, has been one of the big reasons why the team is not good. Um, you know, you can say what you want to say about their starting lineup. They could, they could use big men, of course, but their bench has not been anything to really been to be impressed with uh, until I think Peyton Pritchard, like I said, Robert Williams, those two guys definitely been you know holding it down. Um, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I, I have to give him a B. He's a very uh, viable role player. Uh, but I don't want to go too crazy with the grade. I don't think he's the A or A minus, but he's been doing as much as he can in the role he's been given. And, you know, you got to appreciate players like that. And the final player we're going to be going over is Desmond Bain. Uh, he was drafted 30th overall by the Celtics and then traded to the Grizzlies. Uh, so, man, I gave him an A. I'm going to be real. I gave him an A. Really? I gave him an A. I think I gave him a B plus. Mm. He's been actually playing uh, quite well. <laughs> I didn't know too much about Desmond Bain, but I, um, coming into the draft, I should say, um, just to see him being traded like that uh, to the, the Grizzlies, a team that could definitely use more players in their backcourt. Because, you know, really how I see it, it's, I mean, it's Jaw, and then there's uh, Brooks. Grayson Allen hasn't really been uh, until this season hasn't really been too consistent, but I feel like Desmond Bain has really added a lot more to their bench and has actually uh, had a chance to even start a couple games as well. Um, you know, as minute, minutes increase, well, we have seen a increase in his points per game. Um, however, there has been a slight dip in his shooting percentage since he's been starting uh, and seeing more minutes. Uh, coming off the bench, he had a better defensive uh, rating compared to, uh, you know, compared to when he's starting. But his offensive rating is much better as a starter. And, you know, 
I just feel like you know, Desmond Bain has been able to add uh, a bit more dimension to the Grizzlies uh, as of late. And, you know, I didn't expect him to ever really start. Uh, obviously, I think with – I think – I don't remember who got injured. I think it was Grayson Allen got hurt for a bit or something happened with Grayson Allen for a bit. He gave Bain the opportunity to play uh, in that role. And he's just been kind of doing the best he's can, he can and he's been doing quite well. His shooting percentages have been actually really impressive. He's shooting at 47 percent from the field and nearly 45 percent from three. And I gotta say, like for a rookie, just even an NBA standard, that's that's pretty solid. So um, you know, kudos to the to Bain. He's been playing well, and that's why he earned a B plus for me. I want to start with uh, shame on the Celtics for for passing <laughs> up on Desmond Bain because this is exactly the kind of guy they really need right now. Uh, funny enough. And I'm just, I was so surprised that night when he was falling because he was projected from anywhere from like 11 to 20. That was kind of his range of projection. And he fell to 30. And I thought that was ridiculous. And when I saw the Celtics take him, I was like, oh man, not again. Like there's no, there's no room for him to play on that team right now, probably (laughs) because they had just drafted like two other rookies before him. But um Desmond Bain I always viewed as a dude who was gonna become this I don't know he's gonna be this this soon but I knew he was gonna become this kind of player one day and if this is his floor like this is his first year floor his ceiling is actually higher than a lot of people thought and you know on draft night I was literally sitting there like yo like someone needs to trade up for this man like why is everyone passing up on him I thought the Mavericks I when I made my own mock draft um last year I thought the Mavericks were going to take him at their pick, but they, they passed on him. They took somebody else. And, and then all the, all these other teams started passing on him and passing on him. And I was like, yo, like, is everyone else just not seeing what I'm seeing? Like what, like what's going on right now? And he's proven, he's proven me right. He's proven me right. He's, he's in my opinion, so far, he has been the steal of the draft. Um, I mean, number I, it's just ridiculous to me that he fell to 30 and he, like you said, like he's shooting like 47% from the field, 45% from three. Uh, I believe his effective field goal percentage uh, is actually 60%. Like that's, that's amazing for a rookie. He's having one of the best rookie seasons you, you probably can uh, as, as, a, as someone who was selected at 30. I believe his age probably had a little bit to play into it. He is 22 years old, but at the same time, like, come on, like, like, I don't understand how so many I don't understand how so many teams passed up on this guy because he was even being talked about, you know, he was even being mentioned possibly as high as the Wizards pick at nine. And he fell all the way down to th- that's ridiculous to me. Um yeah, he, he's been fantastic this year. I think he would have been perfect with Luca. I think he would have been a he would have been exactly what the Mavericks need. Honestly, he's kind of exactly what a lot of teams need right now. A lot of teams need a guy like this who can just hit the shots he needs to. He he doesn't demand the ball. He's a good catch and shoot guy. Uh, He can run around some screens and stuff. He's just a very solid player who can hit shots. You know, a lot of teams need a guy like that. And his defense isn't that bad either. It's actually pretty decent and it's, it's getting better every game that I've seen so far from him. Um, It's yet to see obviously how high his ceiling can get, but you know, I just think so many teams made a mistake by passing up on him, and the Grizzlies really got to steal the draft uh, in this. So I gave him an A. All right, and so 
with that, that's, that's all the rookies we got on our thing to talk about. Uh, with that, we're going to end the, this episode of the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. Thank you for joining us all once again. Uh, once again, if you're interested in this type of content, sports discussion, and uh, news, please subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, Speak Truth Sports. Uh, like, comment, share, do all that fun stuff. If you're listening on a podcasting app, uh, please follow us, share, uh, share us to your friends, you know, help us get bigger. We really appreciate it. Uh, and once again, I'm your host, Bert. Train as always. And we will catch you guys next time, next week on the next episode of the Speak Truth Sports Podcast.